0: Amen, you can be seated. It's good to be with you tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good to see a neighbor. Some of you guys' neighbors doesn't even want to see you right now. If you have your Bible, you can go to Matthew 18 and Mark 10, and I'll be there in just a moment. Matthew 18, and we're going to go to Mark 10 as well. Let's pray. God, we're assembled here in your name, gathered together in your name, exalting you. And I pray tonight for liberty as I preach your word. I pray for truth to come from my mouth. I pray that your will be accomplished and your will be done. I pray for your anointing as I deliver your word, Lord. If I try to deliver this in my own power, my own might, with my own agenda, I will fail. And so I just ask you tonight that you would take over, you would anoint me, and that your will would be done. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is everlasting, that has never lost relevance, that it is still relevant to us here today. We treasure your word, and, and we treasure you, O oh God. We give you praise, for you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Got to get prepared. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world are two very different things. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world are directly opposing each other. They are the two opposing forces in our universe here today. We are born into the kingdom of this world, but when we are reborn with the rebirth that John 3 talks about, we become part of a kingdom different than the kingdom of this world. We become citizens of heaven. We become part of the kingdom of God. That's what happens Although we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we believers still exist and live on the kingdom and in the kingdom of this world. And these two kingdoms, as I've already said, are in direct opposition of one another, and they're so different. That's why you hear a lot of people that are a part of the kingdom of God that have studied the word of God, you'll hear them say that the kingdom of God is what some may call an upside-down kingdom. That means things operate a lot differently in the kingdom of God than they do in the kingdom of this world, such as to live, you must first die. To live, you must first die. The Bible also says in Matthew 20 that the greatest among you must be a servant. The Bible also says that we are to be in pursuit of things that we can't see, eternal things, not temporary things, just to name a few of the differences of the upside-down kingdom. And those principles I just named, and I'll name more as we keep going, are things that we never outgrow. We never outgrow. We are actually to continually grow in these principles. I find, and Scripture reaffirms the fact that the more I die... The more that I will lay of myself before God, the more I live that abundant life that John 10.10 speaks about. The more you die, the more you live in God's kingdom. I find that the closer I get to God, I don't lose that servant's heart. Our servant's heart should grow. I find that the more I seek things of God, the less the things of this world entice me and the less that they satisfy Those things I just said and have said previously in this sermon are not hard to understand necessarily, but they are easy to forget. A mistake that I see a lot of Christians make is believing that when they get a grasp of foundational principles of their faith, that it's time to, and these words are carefully put together, so pay attention, it's time to move on to the deeper things of God. Even though there is nothing wrong with wanting to grow deeper in your relationship with God and even deeper into God's Word, we never leave those foundational principles, ever. That's a mistake. That would be a mistake to pursue what we would call more and leave those foundational things behind. There was a guy, and I went into a parts store and I was talking to him, and, and when I was a kid, I went to a different church from when I was born till I was about 11 years old. I was talking to this gentleman, and he remembered my last name, and he kind of remembered who I was. And I began to talk to him, and he said, you know, I used to go to church where you went to church. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, and he started talking. Yeah, he said, you know, I, I had a really hard time finding a, a Sunday school class, a place where I could get into the deeper things of God. And he was agitated. He was frustrated about it because he wanted to move on. He didn't want to hold on to those things and build on things. He wanted to move on from those things. He got so unsatisfied that he actually left the church, and that was years ago, and he's still not attending church today. I, want to look to that. I wanted to look at that gentleman in love, which maybe it wouldn't have came out so much in love, and say, bro, you really don't get this at all, do you? You see, a message like pastor preached this morning, though it may be simple, it is still powerful and it should not bore you. And when you when you hear a preacher come up and they preach the cross or they preach the gospel or they preach something that you might see as basic and you turn and tune it out because you think you've already moved on, then your perspective is jacked up. You've lost sight of what this is all about. Now, I find the closer I get to God, the more I appreciate, the more I grow in these foundational, what some would call basic principles that really are not so basic at all. I've been going to church since I was a baby. I've been saved as long as I can remember. I am 29 years old, and I have never loved the gospel of Jesus Christ more than I do today. I have never been so thankful and so full of love towards God and the things of God that I am today. I appreciate the gospel and I don't get sick of talking about it and I don't get sick of hearing about it because it's what it's all about. This news isn't just good news, it's the best news. I am not tired of hearing the fact that I am justified by faith, that I've been made new in Christ Jesus, that I've been sanctified, that I am not just a child of God, but I am an heir of God. I'm not sick of it. We get this skewed view of what mature Christianity looks like. Just because you know a lot of scripture, just because you're here on a Sunday night, just because you've been going to church all your life, just because you've spoken tongues does not mean that you're mature. If you speak in tongues and you go to a restaurant and you're mean to your waiter, you're really probably not that mature at all. And I can say that because I'm a tongue talker. I'm not ashamed to speak in tongues. Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but that doesn't mean you're mature. Speaking in tongues is the least of the gifts. Anyway, let's keep going. Now, do mature believers do those things? Of course. Maybe some or all of those things I just listed are a part of the life of a mature believer, but mature believers, in my opinion, and I believe the way scripture puts it, are people that have died to themselves the most. People who are the most like a servant, like Jesus said in Matthew 20. People who actually love others more than they love themselves. That's maturity people that pursue God's kingdom and want to see it expand more than anything else, that's maturity. The so-called basics are never to be outgrown. They're to be grown in. We never move on. And tonight, I want to get into another basic, what some would call basic, but this is a foundational thing. And mature Christians who understand what it is to follow Jesus, never leave this truth. They, they never leave it. They grow in it. So let's go to Matthew 18, 1 through 4. Jesus himself is about to tell you who is the greatest in his kingdom. Matthew 18, one through, th- 1 through 4. And we'll jump over to Mark 10, 13 through 16. This is what it says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Mark 10, 13 through 16. Two different passages, same overarching theme and message that Jesus is conveying to his disciples and to us here today. This is what it says. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands On them. These two passages of Scripture, Jesus talking to his disciples, conveying the same overarching message, a principle that we never move on from and we never outgrow. And tonight's big idea I love titles to sermons. No title tonight, just a big idea. It's too long to be called a title. This is the big idea. And I preached this to my students the other night in a similar way. We are to approach our relationship. With our heavenly father like a child approaches their relationship with their loving earthly father. I'll say it again. We are to approach our relationship with our heavenly father like a child approaches their relationship with their loving earthly father. Go to the the Christian bookstore. Go to Amazon. See if you have any luck trying to find a book about God the Father. Plenty of books about Jesus, plenty of books about the Holy Spirit, not so many about God the Father. Baptists and other people who are reformed in their theology put a lot of emphasis on Jesus. Pentecostals, I can talk about us because I am one, we put a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God, I love Jesus, I love the Holy Spirit, but one of, if not the major role of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is to unite us with God the Father and to, our, in, to enrich our relationship with Him. But we don't talk about God the Father very much, do we? This quote's powerful and I can't remember who quoted it, so I'll just give them a name. I found this a few years ago. His name tonight for tonight's sermon is Douglas Bubble Trousers, and this is what it says. (laughs) If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that they don't understand Christianity very well at all. Powerful and true. How you approach prayer, how you approach your relationship with God the Father says a lot about how much you really get it. It says a lot about how mature you really are. In the four gospels, we get an inside look into the prayer life of Jesus. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us to pray to God our father that's how god address or that's how jesus addresses god he addresses him as father and when he approaches god in prayer as you read the high priestly prayer as you read about how jesus prayed in the garden of gethsemane you will see that jesus approaches god as god is a loving heavenly father and he is his beloved son We are to do the same thing and to mirror the same thing in our relationship with God, in our approach to prayer. God is our loving Father, and we are his beloved children. We see this in our two main passages here tonight. Matthew 18, the 12 disciples are arguing. Who's the greatest? You know, the goofy thing is, just before this, Jesus was transfigured before them. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus should have been like, come on. Come on. You're looking at him. I'm the greatest. But Jesus, in this passage, is is loving to them. He's understanding. He hears them arguing. And so he teaches them something. If we could put Matthew 18, 3 and 4 back up excuse me, Matthew eighteen three and 4. I'll read it. Matthew 18, verse 3 and 4. Oh, there it is. Who, verse 3 first, please. And truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Next verse. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus brings a child before them and says, hey, this kid, this child, he has something to teach you. There's something here that you need to be taught. We must be like children. That is the true mark of greatness. That shows you get it. That shows that you have a proper view of your relationship between you and God, that he is your loving father, and you are his love child. And he goes in Mark chapter 10. And people were bringing their children to Jesus, and Jesus was loving on them. He was ministering to them. He was talking with them, and he was hanging out with them. And the disciples... Come and say, hey, parents, get your kids off Jesus. Jesus doesn't have time for your stinking kids. Well, this time, Jesus wasn't so happy. And he wasn't so what some would call loving. The Bible says he was indignant. That means he was very angry and he was very annoyed with his disciples. And he said, boys, you don't get it. You don't get it. This kid, these children, have something to teach you. In both passages, tells us to be the greatest in God's kingdom, we must have childlike faith. Childlike faith. Not childish. Not childish faith. Childlike faith. That we are his kids, and I'll say it over and over again, and I don't get tired of saying it. He is our dad. We can talk to him like he's our loving dad. We are to approach him Him that way, and we are to view ourselves that way. No matter if we were 18 or 88, it remains the same. God's our dad. We're his kids. Not childish faith, childlike faith. That's the way God intended it for it to be. It doesn't change. It remains the rest of our life. It defines who we are, and it defines who he is, and it defines how we approach God the Father. So, what does that look like practically? How do we approach God like a child would approach a loving father? We're going to get into that. I'm going to get into five ways tonight that a child looks at a loving father, and this paints a beautiful picture of how a child, us as children of God, should approach God the Father. And these five things I'm about to cover are biblical. They're found in this passage and other passages, and they're intertwined. They go hand in hand. So, five things, five marks of someone who has childlike faith. Number one, you have childlike humility. Childlike humility. That's the message Jesus was conveying in Matthew 18. You want to know who the greatest is? They're humble. The one who is the humblest is the one who's the greatest. As we said earlier, the kingdom of God is so much different than the kingdom of this earth. People on this earth view humi- humility as weakness. Not in God's kingdom. Not in God's kingdom. The closer you get to God, if you are truly in pursuit of him, the closer you get to him, the more broad view and deeper view of God you have, the more power you see on display... You see him as huge, and you are just some weak, little, minuscule person who happens to be loved. As we grow in our faith, as we get closer to God, we're not to lose our humility. We're, in fact, to become more humble. And if we're truly pursuing God, we will. If you are maturing, you will be becoming more and more humble. Humility, in its purest form, means to be free from pride. In its purest form, someone who is humble at the purest form, which none of us will probably, we will, I can in fact say, I hate blanket statements, but we will never achieve it, is to be free from pride. C.S. Lewis referred to pride as the great sin. The great sin. That's what C.S. Lewis called pride. Pride is the root of all sin. It is. Study it out. Pride is the root of all sin. It's why Satan fell from heaven, it's why even Adam ate the apple. It's the root of all sin. Hit the button. Don't hit this button. It's not a good move. The humblest kingdom are the greatest. Let's keep going. If we possess childlike humility, we will, in fact, also possess childlike dependency. Children rely on their parents for everything, especially mine. Everything. Food. Can you identify? I can identify now. Shelter. Money. Pay the bills. They rely on you for discipline, instruction, advice. They rely on their parents for everything. We could keep going. But unlike on earth, on earth we should, we should outgrow that. We shouldn't rely on our parents for everything. But in God's kingdom, that never changes. Our childlike dependency is to never go away. Ever. In fact... Just like humility, the closer you get to God, the more you become dependent on Him. You want to see someone that's mature, that's powerful in their faith? I promise you, they depend on God more than you do. They depend on Him for everything. You ever want to beat sin and you try to beat it and you're trying in and over your own power? How does that go for you? doesn't work. You can be headstrong for a while, but what you, when you lose that dependence on God and think, I'm mature, I can handle this, I can do this on my own, that's when we mess things up. That's when we mess things up. <sighs> Rather than our dependence decreases, it decreasing, it increases. And the beautiful thing is, God is dependable. God is dependable. We literally can't live without him. We can't live without him. He decides when we were born. He decides when we die. He is sovereign. He is all powerful. He's the one that's saying, I can breathe right now. I can preach right now. We can't live without him. And the beautiful thing is, I don't want to. I don't want to live without Him. Let's keep going. People that have childlike faith view God as being accessible. Childlike accessibility. God is always accessible to us. You got to get a hold of this. He can always be reached. He is always available. He's always ready to listen. Always. Always. God is always accessible to his children. Is that not how a child who is loved treats their dad? It doesn't matter if their dad's in the shower, if he's mowing the lawn, if he's watching the game. Tom Brady's going back to the Super Bowl. Who's mad about that? I'm sorry to bring it up. I I had to put it in there somewhere. (laughs) He's never too busy. A, A child who has a loving dad thinks they're never too busy and they always want to hear what's up. They always want to hear what's going on. Even if they're on the phone, hey dad, hey dad, 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 remix. Uh, some people think I'm funny. I know I'm funny, so it doesn't matter. He's never not accessible to their son. God's never not accessible to us. man, why do so many people view God as some cranky old man? If they would just get honest with themselves, they think of God and they think it's some old man who's sitting on his porch in his rocking chair drinking the worst coffee of all time. If you ever have coffee from someone who drinks coffee all day, it's the worst coffee you'll ever have. That's why they're so cranky, because it's terrible coffee. I'm a coffee snob. He's not like old cranky old man. I love old men. Talking about cranky old men. Your presence does annoy him. When you run to him, he's saying, oh no, it's Johnny again. What is it this time? That's not our God. That's not who he is. He's not sick of you. He's not tired of giving you attention. He's not tired of hearing the same story or the same thing over and over again. You got a friend who tells the same story over and over again? Does that get on your nerves? Yeah? Yeah? Hey, guess what? God's not sick of your story you've told him over and over again. He's not tired of you, and he never will be. Last Tuesday night, I was gone all night, and I I got home late. My son was asleep. And I woke up the next day, and he was still asleep. And I had to go. And I just stood over his crib looking at him like, Owen, I wish you would wake up. Your dad wants to talk to you. I think God does the same thing with us. He's sitting there saying, man, I'd love to talk to my son today. Man, I just wish he would acknowledge me. Man, I'd love to hear about what he's going through, even though he already knows. I'd love to hear from my son. I'd love to hear from my daughter. That's how God views us. Let us never lose that. Number four. Someone who has childlike faith has childlike vulnerability with God. Childlike vulnerability. Man, that's a tough one for me. I don't know if it's tough for you, but that one's hard for me. You are most vulnerable with the people that you trust the most. You are the most vulnerable with the people that you trust the most. You'll open up with people you trust. You'll be honest with them. You'll be your real, true self. You will tell those people what you really think. That's a scary thought. You will show them who you really are, and you won't be afraid of the consequences. How many times do you approach God and you're withheld? You're holding back. You're not vulnerable. You're not being real. You're not telling Him what you're going through, what you're feeling. Here's the thing about God. He already knows anyway. He already knows anyway. Why would you withhold yourself from Him? God's waiting on you to pour your soul out before Him, and not only does He want to do that, He wants to hear from you, but He wants you to hear from Him. Because when you come before God in your brokenness, when you're vulnerable, that's when God can speak to you. Sometimes the clearest, sometimes the most powerful. It was when you open yourself up to whatever He has for you. Never lose your childlike vulnerability with God. We're almost done. Number five, childlike trust. Childlike trust. If I were to be honest, I look around. And I see a lot of people who forgot who their daddy really is, if I were being honest. This has been a weird season, a weird year, and it's tested people's faith. And if you find yourself struggling with your faith, if you find yourself struggling with trusting, perhaps... You stopped putting your faith in God a long time ago and you started putting your faith in someone or something else. Man, don't forget who your dad is. Don't forget who your father is. Don't forget that he created this universe that he is in control, that he exists outside of time and space. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is ever-present. Don't forget who your dad is. If you find yourself lacking in faith, wavering, having a hard time trusting God, not understanding why, not understanding what's going on, you need to go get in front of your dad, and you need to let him show you who he is. You need to open his word and let it show you and tell you and remind you who your daddy is. I see a lot of people who claim to be believers and they forgot who their dad is. When you know who your dad is, you're not scared. When you know who your dad is, you're not afraid. Quit being afraid. Quit letting the enemy scare you. Your dad's bigger, he's better, and he's already won. We can trust God, and he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He is dependable. He knows what's best for us, and he is in control. In closing, God is the perfect father who loves you perfectly. God is the perfect father who loves you perfectly. He wants you to experience his love. He wants you to have that loving dad, beloved child like relationship with him. A lot of people might view this sermon as I talked about earlier is being very fundamental and it is or being basic, which it's really not, but this is the problem. A lot of people struggle with viewing God as their father because they put him in the same light and they see him how they see their earthly father. We live in a world, we live in a nation, we live in a town, who has a lot of sons and daughters who come up in life, they either don't have a dad or their dad was abusive, he was absent, he was angry, whatever it may be, they didn't have that loving earthly dad. If you had a great dad, you are an anomaly. So what happens is, is people come into their relationship with God and they are full of father wounds. And it greatly affects the way they review God the Father. i want to let you know, if that's you, God wants to heal your wounds. He wants to help you. And this is a whole other sermon. I'm going to, I, I tell everyone I know to listen to this sermon. And this is like a part two to this sermon. You need to go listen to the sermon. It's called The Father Wound by a, a pastor named Mark Driscoll. I recommend it. It is one of the most powerful sermons you'll ever hear in your life. If you have father wounds, if you don't want to think about dad or God as your dad, if you struggle with that, go listen to this sermon. Go listen to God's word and let it transform your life. I love my dad. I love God the Father. And God the Father loves me. So, to close out this service, This is what I feel led to do. It's simple. I just want to give you an opportunity to come talk to your dad. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you haven't been vulnerable. Maybe you haven't been honest. Maybe you just need to feel his touch. You need to hear his voice. This is your time. Come talk to your dad. He's ready to listen. He wants to talk back to you. Prayer is a two-way conversation. Quit running from God before He starts talking back to you. Let us pray. And then I'll... Then these these altars are already open, but I'll... I'll,